Hello and welcome back to the Bible Companion series with P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Exodus chapter 19. Verses 1 and 2, the setting. If the Israelites were traveling the straightest route from Egypt to Canaan, they could have theoretically made the trip in under two weeks. At this point, they didn't know they'd be in the wilderness for 40 years, and that was probably for the best. As it is, we're told that it's now the first day of the third month after they left Egypt. They arrived at the desert of Sinai after leaving Rephidim, where they had fought the Amalekites. Here they camped in front of the mountain called Horeb or Sinai. This was a fulfillment of the promise God made to Moses while he was still in Midian, that when the people came out of Egypt, they would worship on this mountain. And here they were. God keeps his promises. Verses 3 to 8, Appeal to Obedience and Relationship Moses goes up to the mountain alone, and God says to him, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. He dictates the exact words Israel is to hear. He uses the designations descendants of Jacob and people of Israel interchangeably. This would remind them of their humble beginnings and again remind the reader of the book of Genesis and the time Jacob wrestled with God and his name was changed from Jacob to Israel in Genesis 32 and Genesis 35. A note about the word Israel. The meaning of it changes depending on where we find it in Scripture. In the book of Genesis, it is a reference to the person Jacob. During the wilderness wanderings to the nations they disinherited and dispossessed, it refers to the group known as the children of Israel, relating to their descent from the man Israel. During the conquest generation with Joshua, it referred to all the lands that were obtained by military conflict and allocated to the tribes by inheritance. Throughout, throughout their early days, in the times of the judges, and then during the reigns of the first three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, Israel referred to the whole nation. After the kingdom is divided under Solomon's son Rehoboam, then only the ten northern tribes receive this designation. The two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin are collectively called Judah. Once they return after the Babylonian exile, they are again called Israel, even though they are ruled by different nations and are considered a province of first the Medo-Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans. During the time of Christ, one region was called Judea, based on the word Judah, and it was populated primarily with Jews. The Romans referred to the area as Palestine, originally as a derogatory term, insinuating they were related to the Philistines. That name continues to this day. In 1948, the nation of Israel was established by the United Nations following the Arab-Israeli War. That is the geographical area between the Mediterranean and the Jordan River today. Originally, it included some land east of the Jordan as well.
The Apostle Paul spiritualizes the word so that it includes all believers of all time, both Jew and Gentile, calling them the Israel of God, Galatians 6.16. Then God reminds them they were eyewitnesses of his work in Egypt, how he destroyed it and brought them out as if on eagles' wings. In Isaiah 63.9, it says, In all their distress, he too was distressed, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. In Isaiah 46, 3 and 4, he speaks of this again, after describing what a heavy burden it was for them to carry idols. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. They weren't carried by God just to remove them from Egypt, but to bring them to himself. It's about relationship. Then he says that if they will fully obey him and keep his covenant, then out of all nations they will be his treasured possession. Psalm 135.4 says, For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own, Israel to be his treasured possession. This is a preeminent position, but it is conditional on their obedience. Jeremiah 7.22-24 clarifies this. For when I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices, but I gave them this command, Obey me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you, that it may go well with you. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backward and not forward. Here he reminds them that before he gave commands about sacrifices and ceremonies, what he demanded and expected was obedience to his word, and then he'd be their God and they'd be his people. It wasn't about the rituals and signs, but about the attitude and direction of their hearts. Yes, the whole earth was his, and eventually people from every nation would worship him. But for now, at this point in redemptive history, they were to be for him a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This would set them apart. Jewish priests mediated between God and the people. They were also to be a holy nation, unlike the rest of the world. This would reflect God's character. And it was to be for him, or for the purpose he intended, which was to draw people from all nations to worship him, and eventually to bring about Jesus, the Messiah. So Moses goes back and reports God's words to the elders. They respond, we will do everything the Lord has said. They commit to obey. Then Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Verses 9 through 15, preparation to hear the law. God explains to Moses what is going to happen. I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in me. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. We studied in the book of Genesis how God's presence is associated with a cloud. We saw it first in the rainbow placed in the cloud after the flood, in the smoke and fire that passed through when God made a covenant with Abraham, in the pillar of cloud and fire that led them in the wilderness, 
in the dedication of the temple, on the Mount of Transfiguration, at Jesus' ascension, and it will be again at his return in the future. So, he also said the people would hear his voice for themselves, not just Moses. This would increase their faith in God and Moses. People often ask why God doesn't speak from heaven now, and they'd believe him. But he has spoken from heaven, and they still disobeyed. And Jesus came from heaven, died and rose again, and yet people still don't believe. Because unbelief never has enough evidence. Then God tells them to prepare themselves to hear the law of God from the mouth of God, so they would see and hear him. This would prevent, or should prevent, the accusation that God had not spoken to Moses, because they would witness it themselves. They are to consecrate themselves for two days, because on the third day the Lord would come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. This consecration, or setting apart for holy purposes, including included washing their clothes, abstaining from sexual relations, and staying far back from the mountain. Moses would remind them of this day and event several times. In Deuteronomy 4, 9-12, he says, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely, so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen, or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to the their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land, and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And Deuteronomy 4.36 says, From heaven he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words from out of the fire. They were to not even approach the foot of the mountain to touch it. It would be holy ground, as it was when God first appeared there to Moses in the burning bush. This would be punishable by death, but death from a distance by stoning or being shot with an arrow so the people wouldn't touch the offender themselves. This punctuated the seriousness of the event and the holiness of God. We're not told that anyone violated this command. I would think that the terrifying sights and sounds would deter anyone from approaching out of mere curiosity, but people often trifle with holy things. Later, in the incident with Uzzah, in 2 Samuel 6, and the men of Beth Shemesh, looking into the ark, in the same chapter, that God would not allow holy things to be treated as if they were common. This charge applied to people and animals. They were allowed to approach only when the ram's horn sounded a long blast. This was the signal that all was clear. Verses 16 through 25, God descends on to Mount Sinai, Final warning. As announced, on the morning of the third day, there was, a, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. We're not told, but I'm guessing this was done by an angel. The sight and sound of this caused everyone in the camp to tremble with fear. Hebrews 12.21 tells us that Moses also trembled. Because we can approach God through prayer because of Jesus Christ, 
we can forget to approach him with awe, recognizing the giant chasm between a holy creator God and us sinful creatures. There is an infinite distance between us in essence and character. We need to avoid casual worship and irreverent speech. Then, because the signal to approach had been given, Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke, because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from the mountain like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. The sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, and Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to come up. Once he got there, God told him to go back down and warn the people again not to force their way through to get a glimpse of the Lord or they'd perish. He said even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Since the priesthood had not yet been established, this could refer to the heads of the families who acted in that role as we saw in the book of Job, Job 1.5, and in Genesis as early as Noah, Genesis 8.20. These men would later be replaced by the Levites. Moses replied that they wouldn't come up because they had put limits around it as he ordered. Then God told him to return with Aaron, but no one else should try to break through or he'd break out against them. So Moses obeys and rewarns the people. Scarlet Threads. So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or the Gospel do we find in this chapter? God brought them to Mount Sinai to worship, fulfilling his promise. Jesus came after he had been promised, and he will come again as he promised. He associated with them in their distress and then did something to relieve it. This is the kind of love in action known as agape love in the New Testament. God expected them to obey him. Jesus expects the same because we love him. Israel was chosen to be God's special treasure above all peoples. Believers in the new covenant are given this designation as well. Moses relays the messages back and forth between God and the children of Israel acting as a mediator. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man now. Moses was the messenger of the Old Covenant. Jesus is the messenger of the New Covenant. The children of Israel committed to obey. We must repent and turn to Jesus in faith. God appeared in a cloud. Jesus was in a cloud on the Mount of Transfiguration, ascended into the clouds, and will return with clouds. The giving of the law through Moses was terrifying as the law thunders against people, causing terror because it shows us we cannot stand before God claiming our own righteousness. By contrast, grace and peace came through Christ. If God coming to judge them in peace was terrifying, imagine the terror when he comes to judge. The mountain quaked. When Jesus was crucified, the earth quaked. The people were able to hear and see God's power for themselves as eyewitnesses. The apostles recorded the life of Jesus for us as eyewitnesses. They were able to see, hear, and touch him. The law was given on the third day in the morning. Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day in the morning. 
God chooses who can approach him. God chooses those who will be saved. Continue listening for Exodus chapter 20. May God bless the study of his word.